Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by Emmanuel Zara, dedicated in honor of Nathan Lowe for galvanizing support for Israel to defeat her terrorist enemies once and for all. Additionally, uh, breakfast is dedicated for the complete Fuashinama of Rabbi Eli Abadi and for the continued health of Khanabat Simafega. And in honor of you and your unwavering commitment to doing good for the state of Israel, fathers around you, during these challenging times today and every day. Azak Baruch David E. Ash. Okay. Let's begin. So we're introduced this week into a character, and the character's name is Noah. And Noah is a, a, uh, a lone soldier. He's a lone wolf standing really against the world. The, the, the Sukim actually, in the end of last week's parasha, quite dramatic. They say as follows. And God saw Kirabara Ata Adam Baritz. He saw that the evil was spreading everywhere. And people's heart and intent was to do the wrong thing all day. And God was filled with a deep sadness that this is where humanity had fallen to. And God says, it's, The world is worth destroying because of the way it's, uh, it's corrupted, it's why uh, I regret almost ever creating him. Rashi goes on a long trip to try and explain what those words mean, that God regrets something. God knew what was going to happen. So what does it mean that he regretted something? However, the Pasuk says, Noach And Noach found favor in the eyes of God. Now, I just want to point out, if you're telling me that the whole world is corrupt and Noah found favor in the eyes of God, what are you telling me? That he's standing by himself as a lone buttress of light in the dark. Him and his children and his wife and his children, they're the one set of people on earth that's Kedai, that's worthy of saving. That's what the Pasuk is telling us. And that's what the Pasuk actually can, continues to explain that God hasn't built a teva, and Noah cannot find anyone to join him on the USS Noah to go and travel and save. Now, again, I, I want to just explain. If someone told you, you know, uh, there's a, how do you call it? There's a, a, a plane that's traveling to wherever, and it's a free trip. You know, you might say yes, you might say no. What if the guy tells you a flood's coming to destroy the whole world? You might say yes, you might say no. Now it starts raining, and it's raining for seven days straight. And the rain, the floodwaters are kind of rising. At this point, you'd think that there would be one hypochondriac, one paranoid guy, one conspiracy theorist with a sign. Someone. <laughs> I'm not going to turn the camera around to say who said that, but his wife and his wife. Okay. <laughs> Everybody get nervous. You'd think that Noah would convince one guy. He can't convince one guy. Not one. Only people that go on the Teva is Noah and his wife and his children with their wives. So my friends, Noah stands alone. But I want to turn back for a minute to understand a little bit more about this character. 
And as we always explain, the characters in Torah are not there for their own sake, for the historical reference, for you to be able to learn more about that character. But like the Pasuk says in Masechet Megillah, the Pasuk says, you want to find out more about Esther, the heroine of the story? You want to read more about this? Go read about it in the history books of the Malchet Parasumadai, of the kings of Persia and Media. This is not for history. You want to know more about the story? The stuff we put in the story was for a very specific reason. That was needed as eternal messaging for the Jewish people. So whenever we see something in the Torah, we have to understand that the purpose of that messaging is not to tell you the story of that character, but rather so that we could learn something from the presentation of that character. Is that clear? So much so that sometimes the Pasuk will even present the character or the action of the character in a way which is not actually historically accurate. Did you hear what I just said? That sounds crazy. And yet, we find it again and again and again and again and again. The Pasuk seems to say something that Reuven did. And then, Chachamim explained to us that that's not what Reuven did. It was considered as if Reuven. It tells us something about Eliyah Kohen, that he, he turned off the path. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that his sons turned off the path, and it was considered as if he did, because he should have stopped them. It tells us something about David. And then the Pasuk says, Eno Elo Toe. If you say that David did this, you only made a mistake. But the Pasuk seems to be saying things in another way that actually happened. And the answer is because the Pasuk is telling you that according to that person's level, it was considered like this kind of a sin. So what we're telling you is that I'd rather communicate the lesson to you than have an accurate storybook, because that's not what the Torah is. Is that clear? Okay. So that means that we are supposed to be learning lessons from each and every line in the Torah. And we have to understand why each line was important. So I'm going to take you back to a Pasuk. There's a man who saves the world from... The flood. But quite importantly, he also saves the world. Let's read the Pasuk in Noah as we open. Sammy Sutton came to me to show me how many times he found this word in various places. But in the third Pasuk of the of Pashat Noach, and the land had become corrupted. Hamas. And the land became filled with Hamas. Now to be clear, Hamas in the Pesukim is not referring to the terrorist organization of animals that finds itself embroiled in a uh, horrific and horrific war right now with Israel based on their uh, barbaric actions. Yemach Shemam V'Zichram. Hamas over here means what we say in Ashamnu, we say Hamasnu. Hamasun does not mean that we signed up for Hamas. We Hamas. That's not what it means. Hamas means when you take something by force. That's not why Hamas is called Hamas. But God has his ways and his ironic twists of fate that things get called by the name that they're supposed to be called in Hebrew too. Hamas is someone that takes something by force. Literally the Avon is taking something. Let's say as an example you have a house. You don't want to sell it to me. So one way is I could beat you up and steal it. I'll force your hand to write the document. I could take it and steal it from you. That's, that's Gezela. If I sneak in in the middle of the night, I do something in the, you know, in the, under, the, under the covers, cloak and dagger, that's called Geneva. That's a different kind of stealing. Hamas is I actually, I'm even going to pay you for it. 
but I force you to give me something you don't want to, you don't want to give. This was indicative of the type of perversion that was going on in the time of Noah. They were doing things that they allowed themselves to say was okay. What do you mean? I didn't steal it. I paid for it. Yeah, but the guy didn't want to sell it to you. You forced him at gunpoint to sell it to you. You shoved the money in his pocket. That's not, you didn't buy that. You stole that. Then you put money in his pocket that he doesn't want. And you try to convince yourself and everybody else you didn't steal it. Amazing how exact that definition is. No, we're not doing anything. It's resistance. Anyone would do this. And it's amazing. You read the letters of these misguided college uh, student presidents talking about how, yes, we feel bad about the loss of life, but. You know, it's really sad about the loss of life on both sides, but. We wonder if Israel's response is disproportionate. Douglas Murray pointed out, you know what a proportionate response would be? For the Israeli soldiers to go in and rape women. For the Israeli soldiers to go and behead the exact number of children that the Hamas were able to burn alive as many Palestinians as they burned alive in the south of Israel. That's a proportionate response. That's what you want. That's what you're asking for. But they're not engaged. You know why? Because Hamas, that's a perversion of justice. When you equate things that don't equate. When you tell yourself things and allow yourself to do things because you figure out a way to justify what you're doing. Nobody is fooled. And when I say nobody is fooled, I mean almost everybody is fooled. I just mean no one with a brain. No one who's not asleep. No one who didn't come to this with a pre-existing anti-Semitic bias. That's Hamas, that's perversion. So my friends, I think it's really important if there's one person who saves the world from perversion, from Hamas, and his name is Noah, we might want to find out a little bit more about Noah and the saving of the world from Hamas. Is that not amazing? See, my friends, this is how you're supposed to learn Torah. And never mind the word Hamas here for a second. The idea that in a perverted world, in a corrupt world, there's a man who saved his family. Go figure out, what did he do? The Chachamim always used to say that he built a teva, that he built a safe space, a place where what was outside was not allowed in. He coated the outside with pitch, and then the inside with pitch, so that there was a double layer of protection inside and outside, protecting his home and his family from the influences of outside. If that's what he did in his life, in his home, then that's what God allowed him to be able to receive inside of a boat. Protection from the elements, the protection, the punishment that came for a world that deserved to be, so to speak, started again. Because it had hishchit ko basar darko. Because every, all living flesh had perverted their ways. So I want to share with you something that I think is really interesting. I want to review. Let's go back. End of Parashat Bereshit. Pasuk tells us, And Lemech lived 82 years, shana, and 100 years. So 182 years. And he gives birth to a son. Next Pasuk, And he called his son Noach, Lemor. This one is going to bring us comfort, from our actions, from our deeds, 
Itzavon means like a sadness from the challenge, from the frustration of our hand, of our workmen. He's going to bring us comfort from the difficulty of work that we have uh, on, on managing the earth that God cursed. Chachamim tell us that Noach invented the first macharesha, the first farming implements, and up until that point it was back-breaking labor to be able to farm. Noach developed the tools, the agricultural tools, to be able to make that work a little bit more uh, bearable, a little bit more, a little bit easier. My friends, I want to point out a couple of interesting things. If you take a look at the psukim before that, you'll find that there's a pattern. And this guy, Metushelach, lives Sheva Ushmunim Shana, eighty-seven years, Meat Shana, and a hundred years, Vayoledet, and he gave birth to Lemech. Okay. Beautiful. And then it tells us Metushelach lived afterwards, however many years he lived. Let's go back one more before Metushelach. And Chanoch was Chamesh Vishishim Shana, sixty-five years old, Vayoledet, Metushelach, gave birth to Metushelach. And then it tells us what happened to Let's go back one more, just so you see the pattern. And Yered lived hundred and sixty-two years. Vayoledet Chanoch. Each time it tells us how much they lived, and they gave birth to Chanoch, and they gave birth to Lemech, and he gave birth to. When it comes to our scenario, and Vayechi Lemech Shtaim Ushmonim Shana Me'at Shana, and he's the father of Noach Vayoled, and he gave birth to Noach. No, incorrect. The pasuk says Vayoled. Ben. And he gave birth to a son. It doesn't tell us his name. The next pasuk tells us, Vayikra et Shimon Noach. Why doesn't it tell us upon his birth what his name was? It's almost like they called him Noach at a later point. Why? Question number one. Question number two. Rashi tells us something very interesting. Rashi says, technically, if you read the Pasuk, the way it seems on the surface level, they named him the wrong name. Because what were they trying to name him for? This one will give us comfort, okay? From the difficulty in tilling and in plowing the earth. Says Rashi, if that's what, if that's what they were trying to name him, what Hebrew name says the word Nechama? Menachem. What should they have called Noach? Menachem. Noach does not mean Nechama. Now what's interesting is that in English, it's a little, a little confusing, because in English, Noach means comfort, to relax. Nechama means comfort, to bring someone comfort. But they're different kinds of comfort. Like as an example, when you go to give, com- to comfort the mourners, that's called Nichum Avelim. No one calls that Noach Avelim. Noach Avelim means if you get them a comfortable chair. So it's a different interpretation. So in English, it's a little bit more complicated. But Noach means comfort, like to rest. And Menachem means to feel comfort from something. Says Rashi, if they were trying to name him, it's the wrong name. They should not have named the Noach, they should have named him Menachem. Says Rashi, so what does Yenachamenu actually mean in this context? What were they trying to say? They were trying to say, Yenachamenu, Rashi says, Yaniach mimenu. He will take off, so to speak, take off of our shoulders this burden of work. 
So yenachamenu doesn't mean bring us the comfort like nichum menachem. It means yaniach mimenu. He will take off of us the burden of work. And then noach at least means the first part of that sentence yaniach mimenu. Okay, so far clear. The question is, I mean, it sounds like Rashi is like furiously working in order to make it not mean nechama. The other commentators are not so bothered. They say, how do you bring someone comfort? By releasing his, his burdens. Right? So he's called Noach. Why? Because when you bring someone Noach, what do you bring them? Menucha. It's funny. Um, uh, there's a song on Shabbat that parts of Am Yisrael sing every week. It's called Yona Matza Boma Noach. Visham Yanuchu Yigi Ekoach. Right? It goes through the whole thing of Noach on Shabbat, Noach, Menucha. It interchanges a lot of these kind of words back, forth. Why is Rashi so bothered? I think there's a very deep idea Rashi's trying to communicate to us here. He's trying to say to us that true comfort in the term of Nichum Avelim true comfort when someone has experienced a terrible scenario, true comfort in getting over trauma, true comfort in getting past your life's biggest challenge, it's not Noah. It's not by being comfortable. You don't get comfort by being comfortable. So Rashi is not bothered that it's not enough. He's not bothered just that it doesn't match. He's bothered by the fact that it's not true. I'll give you an example that's brought by uh, the, uh, the, the amazing mashkiach of the yeshiva of Mir, uh, Rav Yeruchim. He says as follows. He says, you know, you have people in this world, they want to relax, they want minucha, they need a chill, we call it today. Chill. So what do we do to relax? What do we do to chill? Go on vacation. And we think that that's going to bring us a sense of solace, a sense of calm. That's going to make us People who have minuchata nefesh, a serenity of spirit, it's going to get me back my Zen vibes. Okay? Says Rabbeinu Yerucham, you know what that's like? He says, that's like seeing a fire in your backyard, looking around for something to put it out with, and you have no water and you're no fire extinguisher. And you think to yourself, well, at least I have this can of gasoline. And you run with a big can of liquid, but it's gasoline. And you pour it all over the fire in an attempt, in an attempt to put out the fire. You hear that? In an attempt to put out the fire. What happens, obviously? The fire is now raging higher, bigger than ever was before. Cesar Yeruchim. If a person feels that they're overwhelmed, and they think that the way to get menuchata nefesh is to eliminate every care, every worry, to sit in a beach chair, in the sun, have people bringing you things, so you don't have a care in the world. What are you actually teaching your body? That any amount of stress is too much. That actually the only way I can relax is if I have not a care in the world. If the sun is shining on me, if my phone is off, if I'm in the pool, if the weather is exactly the right temperature. You ever meet a person who's on vacation and it's not sunny? They're more of an angry bear than they were at home. 
can't believe it. I came here and it's raining. <laughs> You're teaching yourself that a stress-free existence needs to be completely stress-free. My friends, human beings were not designed to live stress-free lives. We were not designed to live perfectly comfortable lives. You know what happens when we live perfectly comfortable lives? I want to share with you. The other day, I had to go pick up something from somebody's garage. You know, I opened the garage. Inside the guy's garage, a beautiful car, but it's a summer car. The car's going to sit there from now until next year in the summer. Can I tell you a secret? Ask any mechanic. The worst thing you could do for your car is to leave your car covered in a garage, climate controlled for an entire year. You know what happens? Every part of the car gets ruined because the car was not designed to sit like that. The rubber uh, gaskets are designed to be stretched. Otherwise, what happened? They petrify. And then when you try and use them, they crack because they get hard. The engine is designed not to, to be used constantly. The battery, what happens? You get there at the end. You think to yourself, my car should be in perfect shape. The battery should be operating fully. And what happens? You get there, the car doesn't start. You need to fix this or you need to fix that because it's not designed to sit there doing nothing. It's better for it to be working at least somewhat than to not be working at all because we were not designed not to work. Our bodies, our minds, our spirit, it cannot exist in a zero work state. Says Rashi, you wanted to bring Nechama to the people, you can't call the guy Noach. And just to think for a second, let's just understand, this is a guy who, what did he bring to the world? A better way of working. Don't call the guy Noach, if that's what you mean. Comfort. The guy made a revolution in the world of work. So Rashi says, no. He'll remove from us some of the effort, the difficulty, the sadness, the pain of the work that we're doing with our hands. But my friends, that's not the point of naming the kid Noach. That's what Rashi is telling us. That having comfort from difficult things is not a comfortable thing. There's a lot of work that goes into, be, into living a stress-free life. And that work is healthy work. And that work is good work. My friends, our worry over our brothers, you don't want that this should happen. But the worry that we feel, the camaraderie, the responsibility that we feel towards our brothers, that's not a bad thing. That's a beautiful thing. It's a shame that it takes this to be able to create it. But this is something that's absolutely necessary for Am Yisrael to exist to function as one organism, which is how we're supposed to function. So when we look at this word, Noah, and we want to ask ourselves, in a, in a crazy world, in a world that's perverted, in a world that sees things in a twisted way, what do we need to do? You know what the answer is? Not to rest. Not to get comfortable. Well, that's how the world is. The opposite. To figure out a smarter way to work. A smarter way to combat what's going on around us. I'll give you an example of what I mean. 
They had the rally the other day, and outside of the rally, you had these people. They're at, they're loony. They're literally loony tunes. They have no rabbi. They have no leadership. They're sitting there with Palestinian flags. After Jewish babies were beheaded, you have Jewish people, ostensibly religious people, beards, hats, holding. It, it is nothing that hurts people more. So everyone's yelling, screaming. They're a small group of crazy people. So what do we think we're going to do? Yell at them, scream at them, surround them. The more we engage with them, the more oxygen you give them, the more press time you give them. You put them on your phone, you showed that to more people. What are you doing? Turn your back to them. Don't engage with them at all. They're absolutely mental. And if ever you needed any doubt, if they had any doubt, this instance proves it. How could a Jew feel that way when this happens to another Jew? You know that they're crazy. Call us. Ignore. Don't engage. My point is, my friends, sometimes we need to work smarter. Sometimes in getting goods to soldiers or getting goods to people in Israel, we need to work smarter. People are telling us that the shipments that are coming from Sephardic Air Museum, some of them are getting to their destination faster than they can get from within Israel. That's working smarter. You have people on the ground doing what they can. Granted, because they're not in the fray, they're not in the conflict. I agree. So a smarter way would be to outsource that up those jobs to people outside the fray. You know, we understand remote working. We've been doing it for a minute. Yes, smarter. My friends, you want to be a Noach and you want to have a pristine home. You have to work, not harder, smarter. You're trying to figure out how to inspire a kid who's disconnected with Judaism in college. It's a really hard job. The kid has no Judaism in his life, didn't grow up with it, let's say. Never enjoyed any Torah classes. Well, you sent him to a non-Jewish school. Now he's sitting there, he's friends with everyone who's not Jewish. He comes home with all sorts of ideas and ideals that are the opposite of what you want. Now you call the rabbi, Rabbi, I don't know, my daughter, my son, dating this girl, she's not Jewish. Maybe you could talk to him. That's really, really, really hard work. You got to work smarter. You got to realize from now that if you want that to happen there, I got to send my kid to Jewish school now. I got to make sure that I take my kid to school now. He's not thinking of getting married. He's 16, 14, 11, 12, 8. But I'm bringing him to shul and making him feel like this is so much fun and so enjoyable. And I'm making him connect with it. And I'm not yelling and screaming at him and making him, res making him resent it. That is smarter fighting of the world around us. Sometimes, sometimes my friends, we need to be, we need to experience nechama. We need to experience a little bit of comforting. It's so painful, everything we've just been through. But my friends, true comfort does not come comfortably. This is going to be a, 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 a slog. This is not easy. Yesterday in the tefillah, so it was late. And someone said, are we going to do kol ram? To pray quicker? Because it's late. Normally the answer is yes. I said, absolutely not. Bekat kohanim is a very precious thing. There's a word in there called v'yishmerecha. Every Kohen that listens to this should know that when you say the word v'yishmerecha and you're blessing the people, you could have in mind those that are unwell 
for Rifua, that they should be protected, and especially now the soldiers that need every ounce of protection. I said, if it means that I won't give a speech, no problem. But let the soldiers have that protection. That's what it means to work smarter, to get uncomfortable. I have a woman who called me just yesterday. She says, if this is what we need to do, I understand. If I need to, but I, I don't have a, a, my paycheck. Da, da, da. She wound up sacrificing something so she could give $5 a week towards this effort. Look how beautiful that $5 is. That's not Noach. That's the opposite of Noach. But my friends, that, that is what will bring the Nechama. So I'm going to ask every person here a question. This war that's being waged is not only a war for now. It's a war for the foreseeable future. And let me explain. I don't only mean in Israel. When you have an Israeli uh, 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 ambassador stabbed in China, right? It was in China? In middle broad daylight. People, by the way, walking by, driving by. You see that? The guy's literally stabbing him with a knife. Walking by, doing... Unbelievable. If that can happen, that's happening because it, it is being taught on the streets of the world that Jewish blood is allowed to be spilled. That even though it's generally a bad thing to kill and burn babies, you know, but when it's Jews, when it's Israel, you know, you gotta understand. <laughs> Let's go back to the context. The context is that in 1948, the, Jew, the Jews chased all the Palestinians out of their home. Really? Is that what happened? It's not that all of them attacked us to kill us, and then we defended ourselves. That's not the story. Go back to the history books. Y'all know how to read. You're in college. Go read the history books. Not my history book. Any history book. Oh, and in 67, the continuation of the Nakba, the great catastrophe. When again, the Israelis took more land. That's how it happened. Some Jews decided, I need a deck. You know? When am I going to build my pool? Ahmed, get out. That's what happened. They were attacked by five countries. Stated explicitly that they were going to murder every Jew. We live in that world. Protecting our children is not an easy job. But if we want true comfort, we need to decide that we're shifting out of easy and change into another gear. Noach does not mean Menachem. I'll leave it to you to figure out what that means. Putting in effort, being smarter in the education of our children, perhaps in figuring out how to change public opinion. Perhaps in figuring out how to get to people of import to change their minds. Perhaps that when a student president does something and so 